2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Read Rothbard. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho capitalist perspective. Tonight is our first video version of the show. It's very bizarre. We're, we're, we're old men trying to figure this out, sort ourselves out. Jordan Peterson style, we're lobsters. We're going back eons here on figuring out how to get YouTube to record a Google Hangout chat, and it is ass backwards. But this is episode 93, and the show notes can be found at actualanarchy.com slash 93. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2. And I have my co-host, Robert, for the first time ever, live, on screen, video. This is what he looks like. This is what I deal with. This is what I grew up with looking at. Well, he, he looked much younger when we were growing up. He's aged rapidly, and he's got a finger pointed in my general direction. How you doing, Robert? I feel like a, a young girl on prom night. This is exciting. This is my first time. Be gentle, hopefully. Use lots of lubrication. This is my first time being recorded to do the show. Every, every other time, it's always been my static image face watching you guys talk and flap your mouths and, you know, look all sexy on the videos, drawing in all the lady fans. And now it's my turn. Well, I think you're you're really killing it tonight in the black shirt with the, is that a Van Dyke? Is that the uh, facial hairstyle you got going on? I don't know. It's just my natural sexy look. Um, I knew I had to out black and gold you because you just got this square with different squares inside of it with the black and gold and i've got the entire gold background the black headphones the black shirt just doing it proper well i don't mind being outdone i'm 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 kind of okay with that um competition is evil it needs to be regulated and and prevented so that it's fair for everybody robert everyone needs Ah. to get the equal amount of everything all the time no matter the effort or risk that they've assumed i need a consequence-free life that's what I'm after, and you owe it to me because I exist and you exist. Is that is that pretty much how that works? That's how the argument goes, but you'll never actually get them to say that specifically. They'll kind of bandy about it, but that's essentially what their argument boils down to all the time. Well, I have heard it so many times. I'm, gl- I'm glad I could distill it for everyone because uh, I know no shame. All right. Um, I think I'm about ready to go here. You about ready? Sure. Although I watched both movies today. Yeah? You burned out on this stuff already? Well, I had some thoughts on the first one, and then I watched the second one. I go, oh, I had more thoughts on the second one, so I've forgotten my thoughts on the first one. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's the way it goes. Well, that'll work out fine, because I mostly have thoughts on the first one. Okay. We'll balance. We'll yin and yang. We'll spoon. We'll big spoon, little spoon. We'll ambiguously androgynous duo. It's Okay, so you'll be the you'll be in charge of leading the first, first movie talk, and then I'll be in charge of leading the second movie talk. 
Yeah, that works for me. Okay, you ready to do this? Do this? We could try it. Yeah. See what happens. We can always shit the bed and uh, call it quits. And then try again mananas. Yeah. Of course, wife unit won't be too happy about that. She wants this to just get fucking done, man. Oh, does she really? She's not a huge supporter and fan? She's the biggest supporter and fan. She keeps me fed, takes care of the ninos. Those are very vital tasks. Occupation, even. These, their career. They're not even a job. Their career. Because the kids are two years apart, right? So it's a 20-year, you know, two decades of working. And that's a big... Yeah, that's a commitment. Yeah, it's an obligation. <laughs> yeah. All right. For a long haul. Yes. Yeah, she is. And she works out three times a week. Oh, yeah? What's she doing? Abs of steel, man. Abs of steel? Mm-hmm. She's doing the uh, the old turbulence training, which I've tried to get back into. I've done two workouts in the past week, and I am a day late. Well, I'll be two days late by tomorrow by the time I do my next one. But turbulence training, effective. Get those results. Think of how great your butt's going to look when you get done doing this. And it's uh, it's pretty cheap, actually, and we have an affiliate link for it. It's readrothbard.com slash TT. Two Ts. Two times. Two Ts. Turbulence training. Those are the same people that did P90X and Beachbody and stuff like that? No, but I think they're all like pretty similar. Basically... The idea is this. Move your body around for about a half an hour three times a week, and you'll be better than being a fat slob. It just might work. <laughs> it's so crazy of an idea. It's it magic. Work. All right. Well, if you're ready, we can get into the last nighter's portion of the show. Let's do it, ladies and gentlemen. Hey everyone, it's Daniel Robert, The Last Nighters. We're here talking about Guardians of the Galaxy. And the show notes can be found at lastnighters.com slash 36. Before we get into the Google description, which I haven't quite pulled up just yet, I do want to mention we do have a new Patreon uh, for The Last Nighters, and you can support us there at lastnighters.com slash Patreon. And it's already been put to good use. We just got a new Patreon supporter. He's been a listener for some time. His name is Dan Reed, and he runs the Culinary Libertarian. He's got a great site over there talking about great food and even better ideas. So check it out at culinarylibertarian.com. He also got a shout out on Tom Woods, episode 1199, uh, where we were shadow, shadow promoted. Shadow shouted. <laughs> shadow shouted. Yeah, we were spoken about. We were spoken of without specifics. So, Is he, you think he's afraid to say the word? Last nighters? No. No. The other one. <laughs> the other one. Well, I'll, I'll let you, uh, last nighters listeners, who uh, may or may not be privy to this information, but you get a slightly shorter cut of the show from a larger cut called the Actual Anarchy Podcast. But we try to lure you in under false pretenses with a very innocuous name called the Last Nighters, so that it, you're not scared off right away immediately, turning your nose up at it just on the book cover. Uh, you actually have to open that book to listen to us a little bit and then decide that we're full of shit and you don't want to listen to us. But, you know, we're, we're trying to be sneaky about it. So that's what The Last Nighters is about. But there's a longer version of the show called The Actual Anarchy Podcast. And we speak specifically to the Actual Anarchy audience for a few minutes before we get into The Last Nighters portion. It's a lot of fun. But uh, if you want to get The Actual Anarchy version, go to actualanarchy.com, The Last Nighters version, lastnighters.com. If you want the behind the scenes and potentially we're experimenting with this right now, the live stream behind the scenes version, support us at Patreon. At various levels, you get different awesome goodies, and that can be found at lastnighters.com slash Patreon. Also, we are found on the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. There's lots of exclusive shows and content, so do check that out. A new show every day, each week at thelaunchpadmedia.com. The is important for the URL, so do 
go there and check it out. How's that sound, Robert? It all sounds like great stuff. I mean, I know we do nothing but stellar behind the scenes content where it's two old men fumbling around trying to get technology to work. If you've ever tried to help out your dad or your grandfather with the most basic tasks of technology and just gotten so frustrated and your dad or your grandpa just gets so frustrated and they just scream. It's, it's, it's like, like listening to that. So help us out, support us. Well, this one has been uh, more embarrassing than most because we recorded for a good hour before we figured out how to get this to record. But I think we're, we're good now. I think we're good. We're solid. We're straight, Jerry. So with that out of the way, let's get into the Google description, shall we? Let's do it. All right, Guardians of the Galaxy came out in 2014, fantasy science fiction film, two hours and five minutes, 8.1 on IMDb, 4.2 out of five on Facebook, and 76% on the Metacritic. However, 94% of the Google users like it. And the description is thus, brash space adventurer Peter Quill, played by Chris Pratt, finds himself the quarry of relentless bounty hunters after he steals an orb coveted by Ronan, a powerful villain. To evade Ronan, Quill is forced into an uneasy truce with four desperate or disparate misfits, gun-toting rocket raccoon, tree-like humanoid Groot, enigmatic Gamora, and vengeance-driven Drax the Destroyer. But when he discovers the orb's true power and the cosmic threat it possesses or poses, Quill must rally his ragtag group to save the universe. Came out August 1st, 2014. Director James Gunn, and we'll have a few things to say about him. Uh, Featured song, Come and Get Your Love, box office $773.3 million. Your thoughts on the description thus far? Yeah, checks out. That is essentially the story. Not a whole lot of twists and turns. It's a pretty basic, straightforward mix of, say, Star Wars and Cowboy Bebop. But it, uh, it's it got a lot of charming characters. This is a movie that really works off of the stars and the acting. Um, and I, I suppose the tone. This movie, I think, is a little more consistent than its sequel with its levity slash action. and doesn't really get too serious. Well, it gets serious, but it doesn't undercut the seriousness too much. Not like the sequel does. But uh, yeah, um, this is, uh, I think, James Gunn's first big, big action, you know, big budget movie. Before that, he did some some lower budget kind of shock schlock kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, that's been a whole saga in itself. Yeah. Now, I know that you're the nerd out of the two of us. I mean, not that I'm not a nerd, but I'm not like comic book, Marvel movie lore type. So maybe you can help fit this into the wider universe in a you know thirty second elevator pitch because I know All that- right, the guardians okay. the guardians are um, I want to say they started back in the seventies maybe the early eighties but I think they were in the early seventies or the mid around the mid seventies and they were a much larger group originally I mean there was Star Lord there is Yondu um, there's also like the Diamond guy that you've seen in the sequel is actually in the original comic books. Um, I don't, I don't think Drax was a part of the original team. I'm not even sure if Gamora was, but Star-Lord definitely was and Yondu. I think there was a fire lady, like um, there was a Herald of Galactus that was a part of the team also. But yeah, there are a gang of space adventurers. Um, originally, I believe, I might be pulling this out of my ass, but I don't think so. Um, Corsair. Or see, no, he was part of the Star Jammers. Never mind. I'm confusing the Star Jammers with the Guardians of the Galaxy. They're two different things. So yeah, no, Star Lord um, really did get on with like Ego. I think they had adventures with Ego, but I don't know if Star Lord was like Ego's son. But um, there really is a villain called Taserface. I mean, the movies draw off a lot of the comic book lore, but of course, tell their own story and kind of switch around with the characters a bit. Um, so yeah, it's uh, never was a big property. It was never a big 
like when they first decided that they were making this movie, they were like, who? You're making a movie about what? Most people had not heard of the Guardians of the Galaxy. They were a, a lower tier, like super low tier. Like you got X-Men, you got Star- Spider-Man, then you got Lord Beyond. Below that is like Iron Man, Captain America. And way at the bottom is like the Guardians of the Galaxy. Like it has never been a big popular book. It's kind of an obscure pick, even among comic book fans. Like there are all kinds of other different characters that I'm sure other people were kind of yearning for. But once this movie came out, I can see why they picked it. I mean, turning... Like making their own kind of Star Wars movie, having their own kind of fun space adventure action movie fills a niche and kind of expands the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the ways that the other heroes don't. So if you want to make a telecosmic story, like with Infinity War, like with Thanos, and want to make this big cosmic threat come in to actually fight the Avengers, I mean, you got this Avengers team. There's only so many things they can do on Earth that would even challenge them. They're so powerful. So you have to bring in a cosmic threat. And one way to do that is to bring in Thanos who is kind of in the Guardians of the Galaxy lore. So so that's a good way to tie it in, expand the universe, tell a fun story, and make a billion dollars. Yeah, probably at least a billion by now with uh, the first two movies, and I think they're making a third. Is that is that pretty accurate there? They're currently making a third, but it's you know there's a bunch of controversy with the whole gun firing, and they're still using his script, I believe. And then all the actors are supporting him. So who knows what actors are still going to be on board or are alive at the end of part three. We'll be coming back for another movie after that. Who knows? But uh, Dave Bautista has been publicly kind of trashing Disney and saying, how dare you not, you know, how dare you fire him and not rehire him? And this is terrible business practice and I'm out of here. All right. So let's get into the James Gunn just for like a five minute sidebar. What's what's the quick background on that? And what are your thoughts on whether he should be back or not? Okay, so apparently, I don't know how it happened, but Mike Cernovich was apparently in some sort of a Twitter spat with Gunn or somebody associated with Gunn. So he did some digging and found all these old tweets from, say, 2010 to 2014-ish. I don't know. I haven't, I don't know the exact timeline on it, but, and they're all about, you know, jokes, essentially, about how hot kids are and how, you know, raping them is awesome and funny and just a lot of pedophilia type jokes. And apparently he also tweeted pictures of himself at pedophilia themed parties where everybody kind of dressed up as either babies and, you know, sexy babies and like sexy parents and sexy, like, you know, S&M kind of stuff and whatever else. So far, it sounds pretty damning. And then um, I want to say, I forget what it was, but he actually was friends with a guy who's been caught with child porn and has gone to jail for child porn. And he's like tweeting back and forth with this guy about, you know, he's like, they're like running in the same circles or something like that, or they know each other, or they're friends, or probably they just met at some pedo party. And, you know, you know how it is, Daniel, come on. That's where so, you're wrong, kiddo. But uh, this all sounds pretty damning, actually. Uh, it doesn't sound like people are really overreacting too much here. Well, the left would beg to differ. I saw when Gunn initially got fired, I checked the... Uh, the Gawker type websites and a lot of there's a lot of outrage on the left from, you know, the, the people there that nothing ever happens to right wing people. But if you're a left winger and you do something like this, you instantly get fired. Um, what? <laughs> Roseanne got fired for making a joke that's actually kind of funny. Within about two or three hours, I want to say. Yeah. I mean, she Valerie Jarrett kind of does look like what's her name? Um, is it Zayas? Dr. Zayas? You know, a little bit in a. I think Dr. Zayas was, he was the male guy. Oh, guy, right? yeah, here I am crossing genders, right? But 
the, the joke was still, you know, moderately funny. It wasn't like hilarious, but she got fired immediately. Meanwhile, this kind of stuff happens and the left is all, oh, you know, it's just an alternative lifestyle. Or, you know, these are just jokes. Calm down. He didn't really mean it. But I mean, if you if you take in all the, the tweets, sure seems like there's something there, like where there's smoke, there's fire. I'm not saying he's like a pedo in real life. I don't know. Sure seems like he has a real casual relationship with it. But so he was fired. And even though Disney probably well knew about him, I mean, when you hire a guy to direct a big multi-million dollar movie, you probably do some some research on the guy. But it all became public, and so Disney canned him. And so far, yeah, they have not they're not taking him back, even though there's been a fair amount of outrage, of course, and uh, stars protest from the actors in the films. But in, in my world, I mean, if these are the rules of the game, um, you know, public opinion is a market force. And Disney has a, every right to protect its product and its investment. And if they feel that James Gunn's public image isn't something they want to associate with their next $100 million movie, of course, they have every single right to fire him or do whatever they want. I, you know, there's no such thing as like right to work or anything like that. Nobody owes you a job. Disney can fire you, hire you. I have no issue with any of that. It, just, it seems like there's a lot of hypocrisy. I think if if this was Roseanne or anybody else that had made these jokes, I think there'd be massive outrage on the left about it. But in the other direction, like they would definitely be fully supportive of her being fired. Yeah. 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 It's just that this guy's a popular character on the left. So he gets, he has that left cover. Okay. Interesting. Well, that was actually way more than, uh, than I was aware of. I just knew there was some kerfuffle. I didn't know too much detail at all. So thank you for diverging into that uh, realm for just a moment, but let's steer well, back. Wait a minute. Hold on. One last, one last thought is that the outrage on the left not only seems to be about his firing, but also that somehow Cernovich, for pointing this out and digging this up, is just the worst kind of human being. And that this is just some sort of vengeful thing that he's doing because he's a terrible person. And I've, I've seen some interviews with Cernovich talking about this, or at least one or two, and he seems genuinely concerned that, you know, like... Um, who's that Corey Feldman says Hollywood has a real pedophile problem and that anything he can do to kind of expose it is probably a step in the right direction. All right. Well, I, um, I don't know what to say other than it sounds like your assessment is highlighting some hypocrisy on the left. I mean, imagine dread that thought, right? Like, how is that possible? But, uh, anyway, thank you for covering that for just a few minutes and let's get back into the movie a little bit because, um, you talked about how this sort of brings the MCU and expands a little bit more. So you mentioned Infinity War. This was one of the Infinity Stones, right? It's found in this one. And then in um, Infinity War, there's the gauntlet. Is that correct? That has multiple stones in it? Yeah, it's got all of them. Spoiler, where he's going after all of them that have appeared in pretty much all of the 19 movies leading up to, not every movie, but all the mind, all the gems have mostly appeared in the in the movies leading up. But it's not like that they were explicitly said. There's a bit of speculation on the fans' part leading up to this, but yeah. All right. I mean, it is kind of cool that they do tie the movies all sort of interweaved together. But being not as big of a nerd in this universe, having only seen maybe five or six of the movies, I do feel like I'm at a disadvantage as far as the understanding of everything that's going on. Um, however, the first movie, the Guardians of the Galaxy version, did seem to be fairly standalone-ish in that I could watch it and enjoy it and understand what's going on. So you didn't have any issues 
with the plot or understand what was going on? Uh, not terribly. I mean, it, it is sort of like you're there for a good time. You can tell that they're trying to be irreverent and, and be a little bit tongue in cheek, you know, with the dancing and the goofing around and kind of the, the one liners. Um, and so that's certainly entertaining. I think in the second one, they definitely overdid it. They pushed that way too far and it made it unfunny and unentertaining, you know? Good. I was going to ask you that question because part two really turned itself into a slapstick comedy. And if you didn't think it was funny and rewatching it today, I was, I didn't crack a smile once. I was just like, ugh, this is terrible. These jokes are falling flat. I don't remember how I felt the first time though. So I'm wondering, was it completely unfunny to you? Because, you know, they would have a dramatic moment, supposedly some sort of dramatic moment. And then they would completely and instantly undercut it with some kind of a slapstick joke. And if you don't think the joke is funny, it just makes the whole thing fall flat to me. Like the whole the scene just kind of just lays there like a turd, just sits there awkwardly. Steaming. Like, uh, okay, let's move on, please. But if you found it funny, then, you know, I think that it's more likely that the scene's going to work for you. So one, you know, so the second movie was worse for you. And two, did you find any of it funny? All right. I wouldn't say I've been missing it, Bob. Um, I watched the first one and enjoyed the movie. The next night we started watching the second one. And after about 20, 22 minutes, I was like, this is garbage. Let's watch another episode of Better Call Saul. So I have seen 22 minutes of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And that was that was plenty. It was more than enough. I didn't need to see any more of it. It was right after they um, crash landed. And what's his name? Drax was like... Spacewalking and getting dragged into the uh, crash, and it was trying to be slapsticky, you know, slip on the banana peel, funny, and it was just stupid. It was really bad. Well, that's just—it's just like that for the rest of the movie. So I'm not missing so, anything. Yeah. Not missing. You didn't much. miss anything, but you are going to miss. You're not going to quite get what I'm talking about when I start ranting. No, that's okay. That's okay. okay. Uh, but they also, you know, they had Kurt Russell and Sylvester Stallone, and and their names are prominent in the credit, you know, the opening credits. So you're like, oh, there's going to be like. A nice little, you know, see this big star from the 80s, right? And they blow it so early in the movie. They show both of them so early in the movie that there's like no big build up to it. There's no big reveal. There's no payoff in that 22 minutes of it that I saw because they're already out there, you know? So that that was a bit of a letdown as well. I was hoping that you would see them like way later in the movie and it would be it would be kind of a big deal and be kind of like worth the wait. But no, they just show them off really early. Now, the other thing I'd add is that whoever the blue person is, the blue woman, in both movies, terrible, terrible overacting. Like, the worst overacting. Not a fan. Oh, the blue robot lady? Yes, she's terrible. The sister, the Thanos' yeah. uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. daughter and sister of, uh, what's her name, Gamora? Right. Yeah, just terrible. No good. Very I'm bad day. i defend her or her acting. Yeah, she is, she is 100% overacting at all times. Just angry or bitter or yelling or, yeah, for the most part. All right, so I hope I answered your questions um, with my, you know, I didn't, I didn't even make it through part two. But um, I did want to say that even in the opening of the first movie, as soon as he, Star-Lord starts like playing his Walkman and dancing, I was like, all right, this is a Robert movie. This is a movie that I know Robert would be, the first time he saw this was cracking a smile right here in this very opening scene. Yeah, because this is very stylized. I mean, this is why I compared it to Cowboy Bebop. Cowboy Bebop, for those who don't know, is uh, Japanese anime, which heavily mixes like jazz and other music with its presentation. And this movie absolutely does that. It, it falls and leans heavily on its soundtrack. And because its soundtrack is so strong, and that's, you know, the soundtrack is equally strong 
in the second movie, but it's just not as good of a movie, so it doesn't rescue it. But the style of that opening scene and the rest of the movie, for the most part, I mean, there are some scenes that fall flat in the first movie for me. But yeah, man, the style. You got Chris Pratt dancing, just acting like a badass. You know, he's just cool. He's like a kind of an Indiana Jonesy kind of a scene. Yeah, Almost you know, like a, a Raiders in the intro. Yeah, when I was watching this, I was like, man, they really blew it having uh, that other guy play solo in the reboot or the, you know, origin story or whatever it was. Yeah, I think the, Chris Pratt's name was thrown around for solo, but I mean, I, I didn't like solo, so <laughs> I'm glad Pratt didn't do it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, and not that Pratt has even the same charisma as a young Harrison Ford. I think that young Harrison Ford had that certain cachet that Pratt doesn't quite have. I mean, he's got a little bit of gravitas. He's got a little bit of reverence and a little bit of, he can carry that sort of comedic tone and and be that sort of badass. Sort of like um, Ryan Reynolds in Deadpool. Like Reynolds was built to be Deadpool pretty much. Um, I think Pratt's got a little bit of an itch too. And and actually Reynolds might've been a a decent solo now that I think about it. Yeah, he wouldn't really look like him, but he would have that kind of snarky devil may care attitude. Right, which, I mean, that's what Han Solo is all about. So anyway, um, let's see. I've got just a couple of random notes. I know that we've talked about in the past how if I overnote, if I overtake notes, then it makes our show a little bit more wooden. So I, I really just have a couple of like key things that were written down and I just want to riff from them. Go, baby, go. All right. So in the uh, opening escape from this planet after that little dance move where he's kicking the little, you know, rat things, uh, uh, he's not in, he doesn't put a seatbelt on, right? And the um, the woman who emerges from the below deck, I guess his one night stand, says something about how he should have worn a seatbelt because it's like the law or something like that. It's like, no, you don't wear the seatbelt because it's the law. You wear it because it's a good fucking idea. <laughs> if it's a good idea, you don't need to threaten people with violence to make it happen. Because he was getting thrown all about the cabin and he should have been horrendously injured as a result. But of course, it's a movie it's in the script. It's supposed to be funny, slapsticky. And that one, I sort of gave it a pass. In Guardians 2, the slapstick just, like I, like I said, fell flat. So anyway, that's my rant on that. And then who's the, um, who's the villain? Not the Thanos villain, but the, uh, the, the guy who wants to challenge Thanos in the first one. Ragnar or Rorak or something. Um, I, I had it a second ago. Now it's flitted R- out of my Ronin? brain. Ronin, maybe? Ronin the Accuser. That's who it is. Ronin. He's so forgettable that it's, it's hard to remember his name. Yeah, for a second there, I thought it was a um, freaking dude from uh, Last Jedi with the big... Uh, Hex. Big chest? Yeah, big, big, chest? big, big chest, chest guy. <laughs> Chester Chesterton? Yeah, yeah. He, he, signed, he sounded like him a little bit and sort of like acted similarly in that um, he's trying to be too serious and it just doesn't work kind of way. Like he was a very forgettable villain and it just made, he wasn't imposing. He didn't instill fear in anyone. He was just a guy who was, they said he was like a zealot. He was very driven by ideology and it didn't really shine through. I mean, he did say that his government knows no shame. Well, so does mine. But I mean, that was really his only redeeming quality. Right. So this is right in the peak of Marvel's not giving a shit about the villain or the villain's backstory or the villain's motivation. They're basically just foils for the charismatic heroes. And it's working for them. But I think if they could have spent, they could have spent a little time on the hip the villain to actually make us care that you know, this is a really bad guy and ooh, he's really scary because, yeah, he's just pretty much nothing. He's just a nothing burger. I Him and then um, the dark elf in uh, Thor, the dark world, nothing, nothing villains. There's so many 
forgettable Marvel villains, but you know the heroes. So they're really just villain of the weeks for them to defeat and then be tell a bunch of jokes, I guess. Now, Thanos, Thanos is a little bit a bigger deal, right? He better be. You're building up to him for 19 movies. You better have him be something. Not not Snoke. Don't make him Snoke. Don't make him Snoke. Don't Snoke him. Yeah. yeah make don't... him have some character. Make him have some motivations, some backstory. Otherwise, what are you doing? Making a bunch of money is what you're doing. Yeah, they're making a bunch of money. I mean, it's hard. It's really kind of dumb for us to criticize any of these movies because, you know, the market has spoken and they have resoundingly said yes to this stuff. And I, I'm a fan. I really did. I, I thought the first Guardians was great, but I really kind of just hated the second one. I thought there was some good like family stuff with the second one and you didn't turn, you didn't stick around to watch it. But nearly every scene, like the structure of the movie, of the second movie was like action, comedy, slapstick comedy, drama, which is immediately undercut by comedy, and then tensionless action that nobody seems to care about, that doesn't seem to be hard for anybody to do. Like there's a scene when they're outrunning the uh, Sovereign and they're just surrounded by thousands of these ships. Like, oh no, this is like a thing we need to worry about. And the first movie did this perfectly fine, even though they had like CGI enemies and everything. Like the characters inside, like Chris Pratt was like, you know, he really looked like he was working to avoid and like really worried about what was going to happen. And he really had to care because, you know, this is a threat. In the second movie, like they're surrounded by all these ships and they're all shooting at them. And they're just like having an argument or cracking jokes and like, who cares? So when the characters are like, who cares? The audience is like, well, who cares? And there's zero tension. And then they crash land on this ship on this planet. And you're like, oh, no, the ship's all beat up and destroyed. What are they going to do? Oh, don't worry. Rocket's got this magic can of spray paint. It's just going to fix the, the ship back to 100%. No problem. Like, okay, there goes that that tension. And then at the end, they're fighting Ego, and they have a chance to, you know, have some tension. I mean, he's a powerful villain. He's got kind of an interesting idea of what he wants to do. Spoiler alert, he wants to destroy all the life on the planet or on the universe, like everybody does, apparently. But it's undercut. Any dramatic tension is undercut by these, like, pratfall slapstick jokes. And then there's a whole scene where Star-Lord needs to find some tape for this bomb that Groot is supposed to not hit a button. So we're going to tape over this button. And so he goes around and he's asking everybody else. And this is supposed to be like a dramatic like fight scene, but it's completely undercut and destroyed. And if you don't think it's funny, you know, him trying to find this tape, if you find it funny, like you're stoned out of your mind and you're like, oh my God, they're trying to find this piece of tape. That's hilarious. Then it probably works better for you. But if you don't find it funny at all, it just kills the scene, just destroys it. Because you're like, well, they're not taking this seriously. So why do I need to take this seriously? Yeah, it sounds like they were trying to reboot the um, the prison escape scene where raccoon guy was like, I need, uh, you know, the battery from that thing. And I need this other thing. And I need one of the you know bracelets from one of the guards. And I need this guy's peg leg. And then they, you know, get into fights and they get these pieces of uh, whatever they need. And then it turns out he actually doesn't need the peg leg. He's like, oh, I was just saying that to be funny. Ha, ha, ha. Fooled you. And in, yeah. in that scene, you know, it was kind of funny, kind of okay. But if, if they're going to keep going back to that well, which it sounds like they're doing with, with the tape, and then also in the very opening of Guardians 2, where they're fighting the squid monster, kind of has a similar kind of thing where the little baby Groot's like dancing and then each one sort of gets near him and, and gets beat up by the squid, but the squid doesn't really hurt them. I don't know. It just seemed kind of pointless and dumb. Well, yeah, that's exactly my point. Like, if at any, if at no point in the scene, like with that squid monster battle, are you ever even slightly concerned 
that any of the heroes could get injured and like really, you know, are there any kind of sense of danger? If you don't get that sense, then there's zero dramatic tension in that scene. And it's just some kind of slapsticky action colors moving on screen, shapes and colors. And what are we even doing here if we're not engaged in a plot in any way? Right, yeah. And then it also tied into how they presented Gomorrah when we first meet her. She's supposed to be this like killing machine, the daughter of Thanos, you know, super powerful being. But then she gets captured and put in this prison and she's just like nothing. I mean, she's still, you know, relatively dangerous, can defend herself, but it's not like she's this all powerful being. Right. Her power set is a little bit all over the shop. Like there's a few scenes where she grabs a person and throws them like really far or punches them really far. But then at other times, she's just like the normal, like a good martial artist. It's really not clear just how strong this person is. Supposedly, she's like the most dangerous woman in the galaxy. But you really don't get that sense. Like, if she's the most dangerous woman in the galaxy, then why is any of this a challenge to her? She should just be mopping the floor with everybody. But who knows? Yeah, she should just be Ray. And then um, Drax... He's like built up to be this super strong, crazy, super literal guy who's like, let's us put more liquid into our bodies. Um, but then when he fights um, Ronan, he, he's totally ineffective. There's nothing. You know, Ronan just tosses him around like he's nothing. And I guess that's supposed to like show how much stronger Ronan is. But then when Ronan dies, he's like super weak. Yeah. Well, in the comics, uh, Drax is, I believe he's a genetically engineered creature just to kill Thanos. But in the movies, he's had his family killed by Thanos. And he's just on a revenge track. But it's not clear, you know, other than he's a big muscular dude, what exactly his power and skill set is. We don't really know. Yeah. Hard to say. Hard to say about any of it, really. I mean, he's a bit of comic relief because he takes everything so literal. And I guess that's kind of funny. And then Bradley Cooper plays Rocket Raccoon, and he's supposed to be the snide, you know, kind of biting comedy, like very cutting when he's talking to people. And Pratt's his Han Solo-ish funny I don't know. It's like there's too many things kind of competing for the type of humor that's going on in in the movies. I think it worked a little bit better in the first one. And the second one, you know, like I said, I didn't really give it too much of a chance, but it was just so bad. Well, I think you're right there. If you're trying to create some sort of a, you know, uh, a cast of characters that are going to interact in interesting ways, you're going to want like, you know, like the sitcom Friends, for example, like you've got like your straight laced guy, you got your silly guy, you got your kind of ditzy person you've got you know these different personalities all interacting together and bouncing eye off each other and you're right like the quill character and the rocket character kind of do compete for that title of the snarky biting kind of character and then you're supposed to have drax who's supposed to be like the straight man but then what what's gamora what's uh you know what are these other characters i mean i guess when you get mantis she's kind of the naive dopey one but i don't know i I, I think it could be done a little bit better. And it's, it's not, and, and even if it, you had the characters you had, you can make a perfectly good movie. Like the first one was perfectly good. It's more to do with the, the constant drama that instantly gets undercut by comedy, which cuts to pointless action, which <laughs> goes back to some kind of drama and it just cycle repeats. And uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. I think they're doing the third script that was written by Gunn, um, probably to maintain the tone and whatnot. But if it's, you know, Along the same vein as two, I'm not even sure, you know, I'm not even interested in really seeing it. Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you. Now, I I do agree back to your earlier point where the music was pretty good in that it sort of held together the the overall feel, sort of like how Tarantino uses music to tie his movies together, especially, you know, most famously Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Um, And I feel like they were sort of going for that 
similar vein with with this series of movies. So yeah, and DC really copied it with uh, Suicide Squad. Oh, I remember your review of Suicide Squad. It was about five minutes of good god, it was awful. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Yeah, you can condense it even further. It's, yeah. it's terrible. There there are some decent character moments, but for the most part, it's just a nothing of a movie. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I haven't seen that one either. Um, let's get into a little bit of some property rights and economics because I had a couple of notes on this. This is from the first movie, but when they first break out of the prison and they're sort of brought together as this group that's going to work together, they're all at odds with each other. And it's Pratt's ship, and he says, no killing on my ship. So he's setting the rules in his property, right? And so that's I was right. like, that is that is a good example of how the owner of the said property is going to determine what are the rules by which you can be there. And if anyone breaks those rules, they can be uh, removed, so to speak. That's right. Yeah. Um, I don't really have a whole lot to add to that, but in a proper private property-based society, I mean, you have the right to exclude who you want, to include who you want. I mean, this seems like a really basic thing. And I think the left gets it right when they're talking about, you know, you know what rape is, like a woman has the right to say no. And to not, you know, have a guy have sex with her or whatever. But then they, you know, then they don't extend that out to like everything, just just to certain things. Right. You can't voluntarily exchange uh, goods or services with people without regulations and taxes. But you can, you know, assert your rights in your person when it comes to sex. That's pretty much it. Well, and sex and and abortion. Right. Those are the two the two sacred cows. Yeah. Left. Her body, her choice, but only in terms of those kind of things, not in terms of you know whether she has a right to not be stolen from. Right. You you have the right to choose only in this very, very narrow and very specific instance. And that's about it. All right. Which is annoying because there should be some sort of principle at play, but like they, they understand it a little bit, but not, not for everything. I got to say, I think when we were growing up, our conception of the left was, it was keep the government out of the bedroom, free speech, freedom of, you know, your person, those types of ideals. And it seems like they have really gone far, far away from that. Yeah, they're a huge threat against, it seems to be, um, you know, freedom of speech. I mean, when when some, like, even mildly right-wing guy goes to have a talk, they'll pull fire alarms and shout him down and disrupt and assault people and riot. and Right, and and then they, yeah. they see racism and everything. Like, you saw this at the Kavanaugh hearings, right? There's people in the back, like, shouting or making just weird noises to try to disrupt it. And then people are on... Um, Twitter saying that the, the, I think she's a Mexican heritage, like his assistant is like behind him in the, in the shot, you know, the face on shot of Kavanaugh being interviewed or whatever he's doing. And she has her arm like resting, you know, like this. And they're like, oh, that's the white power symbol. (laughs) What? Why would she do that? It makes zero sense whatsoever. You know, and then they, they, they call like Alex Jones a conspiracy theorist, right? And then they're, they're, finding racism in every potentially, you know, ambiguous situation or even totally innocuous situations. It's really, really bizarre. So anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out there. They got to build up the boogeyman, dude. They, they have to. I mean, they know that everybody hates, you know, they've, they've successfully demonized racists as the worst human beings possible. And so, you know, they've successfully made everything about race. Like the Civil War was all about how racist Southerners were. And how Nazis were terrible because of how racist Hitler was. I mean, that's if that's the narrative, then once you can turn somebody racist, make everybody think you're racist, then they can demonize you endlessly and build that person up as the huge enemy that must be defeated. At all and costs. associate everybody else with that person, and then they're evil too. 
Right. And it totally ends the debate, too. And so it, it it's really not, I think, a constructive or effective thing. Well, I mean, it's effective in that it certainly does end the debate, but it doesn't grow anything. It doesn't advance knowledge. It doesn't improve discourse. It doesn't figure anything out. You know, it's sort of like a regression in civilized society. And it's very unfortunate. Um, and what else is unfortunate is we are already running low on time. And I know we haven't even gotten into your rant on part two. But before we get into that, I wanted to bring up the um, the base area called Nowhere that they go into. And the big claim is, oh, there's no regulations in Nowhere. So you got to watch your back because there's no one regulating anything. And then they say fuel is expensive in Nowhere. And I was like, what? How does that work if there's no regulations and there's just open competition and people are going to be trying to provide the best value for people to have you buy fuel from them. So fuel should be far cheaper than in a highly regulated area. It's really, it was weird. It was like a very left conception of regulations as savior and the lack of them causing all this chaos. Well, and then the, all the, the, the product that they were getting out of nowhere, they specifically said that people were selling it on black markets across the galaxy because it was really valuable stuff. It's like, so every world has specifically made something coming from nowhere illegal. It's like, this is the one spot you can get this stuff. This is a celestial being's head. So assuming there aren't like a whole field of other celestial beings' heads, this is the one spot. And somehow, for some reason, everyone's taking the time and the trouble to make it illegal to trade in stuff coming out of this place. Okay, I guess. But there's no space cops. So it's just, you know, individual planets deciding that this stuff is somehow dangerous or something like that. I don't know. I think it was just a, the left's understanding of black markets being bad or something. Yeah, black markets bad, regulations good. All right. Yeah. So Captain's going to teach stuff now. And that that's my last note from the first one. And that reminded me of the um, the football coach in American Pie, where he had the assistant coach. Assistant coach would always repeat the last thing he said. You don't score until you score. And then the assistant coach is, until you score. And I, I love that movie. I don't know why. American Pie. But anyway, let's get into your rant on galaxy two and then we'll do our final summary and review and talk about what we're going to do for our next episode coming out next week well i kind of already did but i've got several notes on galaxy two uh the main thing that struck me watching this today was that so the plot revolves around ego um harvesting his children from around the galaxy that he has implanted on all these different worlds and he hires yondu and his Ravager buddies to go collect these children for him. And Yondu finds out that, you know, he's killing them when they don't suit his needs because he's searching for the, the trait, the special whatever that's inside him to be able to have enough power to help him with his grand master plan of destroying all life on the universe. So the Ravagers find out that Yondu is trafficking children. And since there's no space cops, that are like, you know, pursuing there's different forces on different planets, but there's no real space cops that go after these Ravager clan people. They have their own internal code, their own internal code of conduct. That's and when what, they find out that he's trafficking children, they ostracize him. Yeah, that's what Stallone does, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and this and, is like full on, this is what people would do in the absence of straight out, you know, just murdering somebody for perceived crimes, but they would just disassociate some, you know, with you. And that was a significant pressure on Yondu. He felt really 
hurt by that. And he wanted to be back in their good graces. And this is the the pressure that ostracism brings to ensure you know, good behavior, essentially. So I thought that was kind of fun. Um, also, Yandu is so ridiculously overpowered. It's really boring. He has this magic arrow that he whistles and it goes around killing everybody. And there's even a scene set to music, of course, where he just murders, I don't know, dozens and dozens of other Ravagers just without effort at all. Just this magic arrow just flying around. And it's just a nothing scene. Another nothing scene in a movie full of nothing scenes where there's zero dramatic tension. At no point do you think, oh no, is he going to be able to get them all before X happens? No, there is no X happening. He's just going to kill everybody with his magic arrow with zero effort. I mean, he's just sitting there whistling and then it's the scene's over. It makes me wonder, why is this in the movie at all? If it's no challenge for the heroes to overcome, what am I watching it for? Because it's cool and there's set to music. Not good enough, James Gunn. Not good enough. Um, that's the main thing. There's all kinds of other little tidbits that I could complain about, but it's not really worth it. So it's not a great movie. I'll just move right into my final summary and review. Uh, I assume most people have seen these movies by now. But if you do want to recommend a movie, I mean, I would recommend the first one and only watch the second one for completionist's sake. Um, it doesn't really add anything. Uh, the main characters are all the same at the end as they are at the beginning, except for, you know, the ones that survive. But, you know, it's just I'd be curious. I mean, enough people liked it that, you know, this movie made a ton of money, too. But I think it was probably riding the coattails of the first movie. I'd be surprised if the third movie made as much money, especially also with the controversy and whatnots. But. Man, I was just so disappointed by... Because the Marvel movies in general have the problem of not believing their own drama, like really leaning into it and really selling it and really believing in their own dramatic scenes. There's always, almost always, especially like in the Iron Man movies and in these movies and other ones that are like Ant-Man and more kind of jokey movies, they really just... If there's any kind of seriousness going on, it's instantly undercut by some kind of jokey thing. And I wish, I mean, this is just me wishing. I mean, obviously these movies are doing incredibly well. So figure for what it's worth. I mean, here's just my dumb opinion. But it's okay to have, to mix, you know, drama, action, and comedy. But let it be a dramatic scene. And then have your jokes in the next scene that's more of a fun, jokey scene. You don't need to have joke, action, and drama all in the same scene. It's called, you know really staying true and understanding what tone is. Because like I said throughout this episode, if you're going to, you know, undercut every dramatic moment with a joke, then you're just, you're going to detach from, you know, like the seriousness of the situation. And you're just gonna be like, well, who cares? No one really seems to care in the movie about what's happening. So why should the audience care? If it's all a big joke to the characters in the movie, their lives and all these amazing situations that they're in, then why should the audience care? So that's kind of my thing. Um, I, I understand that they're just like a fun kind of space adventure movie, and that's fine. And I think, you know, the world has obviously said that it wants these kinds of things. Star Wars has made trillions of dollars, and these movies are doing really well, so great. And I'm all for adventure movies. I love an adventure movie. Great. But yeah, pay a little more attention to tone. Respect your own drama. And I think you'll make a better movie, James Gunn, or whoever's making these movies now. So uh, the first one for me is like a 8.4, pretty dang good. But the second one, man, I just hated it. It's got some good moments, but for the most part, 
it fall really flat. If you don't like the comedy, you're not going to like it. Um, unless you're really, unless the, the, the family drama story really hits you really hard, which it can very well do because it's not the worst family drama story. But that for me is like a, a 4.7 second one. It's just so much worse, but let's get to Daniel. I want to hear what he has to say. All right. Well, I'll try to make this quick because we are running low on time here on the last nighters. Uh, so the first movie was a lot of fun to watch. I did enjoy it. Um, it, like I said earlier, it could sort of stand on its own. You don't need to have the full cinematic universe to understand what's going on. Uh, some of the villains were a little bit hokey and the blue girl was overacting and, and just not menacing really in any way. Uh, it did seem that they had sort of fluctuations in the abilities and powers that these characters had. Um, so at one point they seemed like all powerful. And then later on they had virtually, you know, no abilities whatsoever. And it just didn't seem very consistent. Um, there was a lot of competing among two similar of character types uh, that we talked about earlier, where you've got Pratt and uh, Rocket sort of trying to vie for class clown, um, the, you know, snark factor uh, to warp, you know, snark factor 11. Um, but it was still kind of entertaining and fun. So for that aspect, I did enjoy watching it. And I do recommend the first movie. I'm going to go with like a 7.5 on it. I think it was, it was that good. Part two, I gave it an incomplete. Like, I can't even really give it a score. Your score was, you know, certainly on the low end, but I'm going to give it like, what, what, what would you what would you get um, when you would not complete a class on your report card? Was it like an I? I give I gave it an I, letter I for Guardians 2. And I'm not really looking forward to seeing 3. However, if I do get around to at some point being a completionist, as you said, and watch all 19 or 20 movies, just to get, you know, the full scope of it, um, sort of like being a collector, then perhaps uh, it'll have a little bit more meaning and, and hold up a little bit better, and I'll make it through that second movie. But it was just so hokey, so so ridiculous, so Keystone copy, and not even in a good way. Like Keystone Cops, you can go back and watch and, and get that nostalgia, and, and you know, like it's it's still kind of fun. This was just garbage. So that's my <laughs> rating and review for Guardians of the Galaxy one and two, which is uh, episode thirty six of the show. Showing us some more can be found at lastnighters.com slash 36. Uh, any final comments before we talk about what's next on the agenda, Robert? No, just thanks for uh, joining us for this very first special video episode. I think this one went well. I think we could probably keep doing them like this uh, unless I go up and actually go visit you in real life human person and uh, actually maybe record an episode up there. We'll see. Right. If you are, in fact, a human and not a robot, Robert. Um, mm, too soon to tell. Too soon to tell. The next show we're going to do is in honor of the passing of the great Burt Reynolds. He just died. And so we are going to do Smokey and the Bandit. And that will be a fun movie uh, and a fun episode. You promise? I do promise. And didn't I look just like Burt Reynolds? No, not at all. No, not at all. Where's, where's, the, where's the mustache? I actually just shaved it off today. Now that we're on video, you know, everyone can see all this stuff uh, and my sweet mullet. So I'm growing that out. It's uh, It's really intense. My wife does not like it, but... I, I still got it. So apparently, apparently I still do wear the pants in the house here. Who does like it? Just me. My kids don't even like it. It's that bad. So you like it enough. You like it so much. You're just like Johnny Rebel. Don't even, don't even touch my mullet, dude. Hey man, it's business up front. Party in the back. Well, I know. I know. Are you still trying to sell the line that this is for some like, Halloween costume? Well, it's going to line up very, very well with Halloween times and being a Joe Dirt. So I, I'm probably going to pull that off. Yes. Joe Dirt for Halloween. Yeah. And maybe we could do a Joe Dirt episode around that time. Also, someone uh, had previously suggested that we do Cowboy Bebop. So maybe that could be another show that we do after we do Smoking the Bandit. Very cool. 
Also, another great uh, anime that I'm a big fan of is Samurai Champloo, which is also another one that mixes music with the story very heavily. All right. Well, we will get something figured out as far as how to get a calendar sorted and displayed out for our audience. So you guys will have a little bit more of a heads up on what we're doing. We always reserve the right to call an audible like we did a couple of weeks ago doing Outlaw Josie Wales because we had a guest who couldn't make it that week and we had them. Jack V. Lloyd of the Voluntarist comic on the following week for Schooling the World, which was our previous episode, which I think was a really, really good episode and very timely for this time of year with kids going back to the day prisons, the indoctrination camps. And uh, if you guys um, like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon, just like uh, Dan Reed of the Culinary Libertarian did. He's our newest uh, Patreon supporter, so you can find that at lastnighters.com slash Patreon. And if you give us enough dollars, we might even get decent webcams. So that might be kind of fun, right? Because these are our built-in webcams on the uh, the old uh, laptops here. So we saw some really cool ones that have uh, a way to replace the background. So we could make like us, you know, be in the scenes of movies or have, you know, something kind of cool. That might be kind of fun. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it could be cool. I mean, I know a lot of people use them for like Twitch streaming to have like the video game in the background, but there's any number of things we could do with this. So we'll probably just do something boring to start, but, you know. We might figure th- some things out if our old brains could uh, do that. Good enough for me. All right. Well, hey, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, Lastnighters.com slash 36. And I'll say goodnight from last night. Smoking the Bandit next week, everyone. Peace out. Peace out. Peeps. And scene, just a few more minutes for actual anarchy. Uh, this is our, you know, kind of format that we do. We do the last nighters, and then we do the actual anarchy, and vice versa. Do a little sandwich. Last nighters is the meat in that sandwich. This is the back end of the bread, and uh, Robert's about to butter that bread. Um, what'd you think? How'd the show go? Uh, before we get into some Kathleen Turner Overdrive, available for our Patreon supporters. Well, I hate to complain, but I wish you had seen the second movie because there were some questions I wanted to ask you about it in terms of you know, complicit in murder. Uh, Ego has this Mantis character that he has help him, and she knows all about his child murdering operation, but she doesn't tell anybody else about it. So, you know, maybe there's some some NAP violations there. I'm not sure, but yeah, probably. So all this kid stuff, you know, you talked about James Gunn and the history a little bit. I mean, this is his story, right? This wasn't like in the comics, they're trafficking kids or stuff right like this is james gunn brought this to the to this universe here yeah absolutely this is james gunn i don't know of this storyline being uh, in the comics but i've also not you know read all the guardians of the galaxy books i've probably read a handful of them okay so i don't know but i i I'm, i almost guarantee that this is some original story by james gunn okay co-writers well it sounds like it like meshes with the controversy like it makes sense like these pieces kind of add up you know seems to Hard to say, but yeah, old Jamie Gunn. We'll see if he comes back. Yeah, very bizarre. I don't know if my wife is still watching. She's probably like, why can't they just wrap this shit up and be done so we can go and watch the next episode of Better Call Saul? And that'll is happen soon. Right now? You know, it's we didn't like the first season. Like we watched it and we're like, eh, it's okay. It's all right. I don't know why we're still watching it. And we didn't go back to it for probably a year, maybe more. Um, and then we ran out of um, Spartacus which highly recommended. Very nice. Good show. Uh, but we finished that and we're like, well, what are we going to watch next? And we couldn't find anything. So we're like, oh, there's new Better Call Saul. Started watching it. Man, it, it, 
it comes into its own and it's bringing back the cliffhangers. It's like the one mores, you know, it's like you're, you're watching it on the iPad, you're in bed and you're tired and it, it ends on this like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And you're like, you know, we, we can stay up till 11. We can stay up till midnight. No problem. Right. I mean, the kids will get up at 4.30 and that's fine. Anyway. Wow. It's really gripping your, gripping you by the conads. Yeah. Yeah. Lately, lately it's been gripping. It's been doing the gripping. It is weird though, that he's still Jimmy. Like we're, we're halfway through or wait, we finished the second season. Now we're partway through the third and he's still Jimmy like the whole time is, is the whole point of Better Call Saul, like everything in it is before he becomes Saul Goodman and Saul Goodman is, you know, all breaking bad. If I were to guess, I would say that he becomes Saul on the very last episode. Okay. That'd be my guess. And then there's, you know, always these um, little vignettes of him working at Cinnabon or being in some like witness relocation type thing, but they never really address it. So that must be the interim, like whatever happens when he's Jimmy, he pisses off enough, enough people where he needs to go and hide and work Cinnabon and whatever. And then he comes back as Saul Goodman for Breaking Bad. That's sort of how you understand it. I've only seen, I think, the first season and maybe an episode or two of the second season, or maybe a little bit more. I don't know. I'd have to actually go through and rewatch some and see how far I've actually watched because I don't know off the top of my head. Okay, so did you run in the same situation as us where the first season was good, but not enough to like really bring you back for the second? I want to say I liked the first season. I mean, not as much as I like Breaking Bad, but I remember being on board for the second season, but then the second season wasn't out for a while. And then when it did come out, I was on to something else by that point, and I did not go back to it. Okay. So now... Maybe I could get back into it, but I don't know. Yeah, that was kind of our deal, too. Is like when we saw the new ones coming out, you know, when season two came out on the Netflix, we we're like, eh, maybe. Eh. And then we just didn't. And now that we have, we're like, OK, it's actually sort of coming into its own. You know, so if, if, if you're down on stuff to watch, maybe give it another shot. I still plan on watching um, Carbon. What is that? Altered Carbon? Whatever it's called. Something mm. Carbon. Altered. I think it's Altered Carbon. Supposedly, yeah. that's. That's been recommended in the TWE more than once. Okay. So we might move to that next. We tried um, Black Mirror because we heard people recommending that. And we watched probably three or four episodes. Have you seen any of that? I've seen one episode. I've seen the very first episode. Okay. So it's uh, it's almost sort of each one's standalone. Right. Like you meet the character and then their story ends at the end and then you don't see them again. They move on to something else. Um, that sort of leaves us not really caring to watch the next one. Like you could come back to it whenever, you know, no big right. deal. So we just moved on. Yeah. It's like the modern day twilight zone. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of got that feel to it. Yeah. Like what if scenario step of stuff, sci-fi, but yeah, it's just, since it doesn't have an overarching narrative, like you say, yeah, it doesn't really grip me, I guess. I mean, I watched the first episode and I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. But if I got to get to know new characters every single time, I don't know. Maybe maybe that format is kind of an archaic relic of the past. I don't know. Yeah, perhaps like the the old model of come back next week for the next episode, you know, versus the I can binge watch all 12 of them in one day. Yeah, it's a different. Oh, I did. I did watch the second season of Ozark, though. Binged the shit out of it. I think I watched it in two days, all 10 episodes. Wow. OK, so for Phenomenal. us. For us, Ozark started off promising, especially with his allusions to bank, bank runs. You know, uh, that was very Rothbardian, I think. And then the kid um, standing up for himself in the school, right? telling, them, telling the teacher like he doesn't want to be there and it's like stupid and, and whatever. Like, I liked that. But by episode five or six, we just stopped caring. Mm. 
And so we haven't watched any more than that. So I think we made it halfway through the first season. One of my main criticisms of the second season is just how ridiculous their lives get. It's almost like a soap opera and how much crap is going on. It's like the writers needed to give, you know, something ridiculous happening to every character. So there's just, it's just a, a nightmare of mess of stuff happening. And I mean, it's, it's fine, but it just seemed a bit over the top to me, but it, I still enjoyed it. Okay. All right. Well, that's a good spot as any to end the show. So we will get into our Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which is for our Patreon supporters. So give us some dollar dollar bills and you can get access to that. And we will get super cool, snazzy webcams with background replacement. And you can uh, support us at lastnighters.com slash Patreon, actualanarchy.com slash Patreon, readrothbard.com slash Patreon, or patreon.com slash readrothbard. So many ways to get to the same spot. It's ridiculous and ridiculous. And I'm going to say good night. You can find the show notes more at actualanarchy.com slash 93, where we're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy. Peace out, everyone. Maximum freedom. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do